Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey friends, welcome to the show today. I am really excited to introduce you to my old friend, Eric Horner. I've known Eric since around 1987 or so. We are both from the small town of Paducah, Kentucky, just a couple of hours up the road from Nashville here. Eric and I both grew up taking guitar lessons at Chapman Music in Paducah. When my guitar teacher, Herb Chapman, was out of the store, Eric would fill in and teach me whatever song I had on my mind that day. Once Eric made it to Nashville, the doors started opening quickly and he found work playing guitar and singing background for country music superstar Lee Greenwood, who you probably know by the song God Bless the USA. Over the next 17 years, Eric has also worked with superstars Shania Twain, Winona Judd, and Brad Paisley. In 2002, Eric shifted his focus to gospel music and now spends over 200 days a year on the road ministering in churches and military bases all across America. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Well, welcome, Mr. Eric Horner. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for letting me come over to your studio. This is beautiful. I love it. Thank you. It's awesome. My, my doghouse is what You're, my wife calls this. Calls it the doghouse. Well, it's the nicest doghouse I've ever seen, personally. <laughs> Thank you. Very cool. Um, so you and I have known each other for years, actually. We, don't, we rarely get to see each other in person. I know. We go uh, way back. We go way back to our hometown of Paducah, Kentucky, where mm-hmm. we grew up at the, together and um, I mean, you're a few years ahead of me, but just to kind of give our listeners a background on how we know each other. Okay. So I grew up taking guitar lessons at Chapman Music, Herb Chapman mm-hmm. in Paducah, and you did as well. I did. I actually took guitar from Steve. Okay. From Stephen Curtis. I yep. was his very first guitar student. Oh, yeah. He was a freshman in high school, and I was a sixth grader. Okay. And uh, so that's how I got introduced to the whole Chapman family. Yeah. Well, I, I was four years old. Yeah. So I'm the youngest student that Herb ever had, mm-hmm. and, and still to this day, uh, nobody has beat that record yet. <laughs> so I, I, I remember the little red-headed dude coming into the store. Yeah, I, remember, I remember that. That was me, and um, and so you actually would teach me. You would sub, sub in for Herb mm-hmm. when he couldn't teach sometimes, and so you taught me two or three times, and I remember... Yeah. The one song that I remember you teaching me was Fallen Angel by Poison. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was Wow. I was in a like ninth grade or something like that. Yeah. And uh, you taught me that song. I remember that. And uh, but I always thought that was so cool that you uh, were teaching guitar and then would help and fill in and teach me fr- from time to time. And then the next thing I knew you're out playing for Lee Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in country music and touring all over the place and you know so a lot lots happened for you over the years so just yeah been, a, been a, lo a long road and a lot of pieces to the puzzle yeah so just a quick background you know tell us about your time in Paducah and taking lessons and kind of getting into music um, that led you to the point of being able to do it full-time sure uh, I grew up I had I had three cousins that played the guitar and so at every family gathering at Christmas especially everybody break out the guitars and, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world and so when I was six years old when that would happen I would break out a tennis racket and, and strum along with them I mm -hmm. wanted to be just just like them yeah and uh, one cousin in particular his name was Mark Dykus he was my hero he even played the bass guitar and I thought that was just Awesome, you know. They, he played in the swing choir and and all of that, and and they would come over and sing for us kids in elementary school. And I was telling everybody, "That's my cousin. I'm gonna be just like him." Yeah. And uh, I still remind him to this day, "Hey, you're still you're still my hero." Yeah. He, they're the ones that gave me the music bug. Sure. And uh, I began beating on. Look, my dad got a, a little electric guitar from I think Super X Drugs there in Paducah. Yeah. When they were still there, and his little they called it the brand was Prestige, yep. and. Uh, I got a little amplifier, and buddy, I was I was the king of rock and roller. I thought I was, right. and uh, um, I got my first really good guitar uh, in the sixth grade, which was a Yamaha FG one sixty. I thought, boy, I had arrived, and and got that from Mr. Chapman, and began to take lessons from Steve. And one big blessing that I always had that that, that really fed the music bug was were teachers. I went to Lone Oak High School right. there in Paducah, or in elementary school, middle school. All my music teachers were very good to let me do what I did, uh, play guitar, I, you know, in the choirs. And, and I was always one of the accompanists. And, and uh, had, had it not been for that, uh, I probably never would have pursued music full time, especially in high school. Uh, my high school director, we, we had a, a swing choir is what we called right. it back then, yep. it was like a show choir. And, uh, you know, we had a full band set up with it. And, and, you know, just getting in playing all those hits that you heard on the radio with the swing choir and learning how to do that, that really gave me the bug and the fact that they allowed me to just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I really attribute a lot of my career in music to them just giving me those opportunities. Sure. So after you were teaching at, at Chapman Music for how long did you teach there? God, seems like forever. Uh, I started teaching there in high school. I actually, on my senior year, uh, that we had a program called DE, Distributive Education, and and you could go to school for half a day and then yep. and then go to work. And that's what I did. I, I just walk up and and work for Mr. Chapman and run the run the store so he could go fishing, uh, or yep. you know. And and, and eventually, uh, I guess I, I moved forward enough on the guitar where they felt like. Uh, they could give me some students, and, mm -hmm. and so I started to teach and did the same Chapman method, you know, exactly how I'd been taught, and yep. that same that has me. been a successful method. It has been. That's what I teach yeah. all of my students now. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of kids that went on to become pros, you know, yeah. have gone through that, and it's just all, what's so great about it, it's all ear training, you know. Uh, I remember when we went to college, uh, I went to Anderson, was now university, but Anderson College in Indiana. And I was there with Stephen Curtis and Herbie Chapman. Yep. And, and our theory teacher just couldn't stand us because she couldn't stump us. Uh, in the oral comp class where they'd, you know, pick out intervals and you had to tell them what they were doing. And, and, uh, and she'd go, well, let's hear one of our real musicians do this. And we'd do it, you know, right. and it just make her so mad she couldn't stand it. <laughs> but that was all that good ear training we yeah. got in, in the Chapman method. That's awesome. So... Graduating high school, jumping on into college, you're at Anderson uh, with Steve and Herbie um, doing all those things. And then, now you guys were 
did you guys do music together in college? I know we did. Chapman Henderson. Yes. Yeah, we, we had a band, band. Called, and I was in it for a short time. Okay. Uh, we all, Steve started making plans to come to Belmont, and for other reasons, I needed to come home okay. and, and be at home with my family for a little bit. So uh, I never even finished the first year there at Anderson College. My, my intentions were to come down to Nashville and go to Belmont as well. Okay. And uh, I never did. I, I became a road scholar, or ROAD, and, and uh, got out to Stephen, actually opened the first doors for me uh, for my first job in country music. Um, uh, a group called, back then they were called Bell. They became uh, known as the Girls Next Door. They were on uh, MTM Records, which was the Mary Tyler Moore group. They had a label here. And it was them and Holly Dunn and, and uh, a lady by the name of Judy Rodman. They had several artists that had a few hit records. Mm -hmm. and, and Steve worked with all those girls at, at uh, Opryland. Right. And so they were needing a bass player. And so Steve called me and said, hey, would you, would, would you be interested in the gig? And, and so uh, he got me an audition. And and they hired me and that started this whole a whole 17 year chain of, of running around the world with these country singers and and uh, had a good long run of it here yeah so just having a relationship knowing yes. steve from childhood yep. going to college you know the uh, whole key to this business is relationships yep. i know i say it all the time and people are probably sick of hearing me say it but i, I say it in every interview yeah. Um, and just out talking to people, but the whole thing, it really is truly built on relationships and who, you know, it is, um, more so than talent. And you can be, yeah. you have to have talent. Obviously you have yeah. to have some level of talent, but the determination to do it and yes. knowing people and, and having the ability to get along with people. Yeah. <laughs> get, yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's easier said than done with musicians because there's some of the most temperamental people in the world, but, right. uh, you know, people ask me often, well, what, what, what do I have to do to come become a successful artist, songwriter, musician? Come here. You got to come town. here and become a part of the grapevine. You got to make friends. You got to make relationships because very seldom, uh, I've only seen it just a, a handful of times in my whole time here, do artists have what you call an open cattle call audition for anybody. That just doesn't happen. Right. Somebody knows somebody. They get the private audition. And, and it's just because you've had a relationship you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, that's how I got hired with Lee Greenwood was, uh, the group that I played with the girls next door were his opening act for a mm -hmm. uh, couple of years. You know, they had just enough hit record success to where they could pick up a tour and Lee was pretty hot back then and, and, and toured a lot. And so when, when I heard through the grapevine, through, through relationships that uh, an opening was becoming available in his band, I was able to go and, and find him. I found him at the Opryland hotel. Uh, he was doing a private show there, and I'd made friends with some of his crew, his road manager at the time, and I told them what I was there for. And they said, yeah, man, come on, you know, and, and they took me straight to Lee, and I said, I, I want the job. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, uh, call my office in the morning, and uh, you come out to the house, and we'll audition you. Okay. And uh, it was kind of, uh, Lee was funny back in that day. He, of course, was playing country music, but he wanted a band that looked kind of like Whitesnake. Right. You know, we all sure. had to have all the long hair and the, yeah, yeah. And, and the rock and roll boots and all that stuff. But one of his songs, there was one song in particular, acoustic guitar has always been my specialty above all the instruments that I play. And there was one song called If There's Any Justice that he did. And it was, it sounded a lot more difficult than it really was to play, but a lot of guys stumbled. And that was, that was the reason there was becoming a, an opening in his band. The guy they had there just couldn't play it. And so, uh, I, I called the next morning and they sent me to his house and 
And he had people ever, you know, again, he was a real busy, uh, in the moment guy. There ain't a lot going on yeah. with his career. And so I just sat down at his piano waiting on him and I started to play if there's any justice. And he walked over to me and said, you're hired. The gig pays this, go to my office and fill out the paperwork. Is nice. that, is that, is that fast? <laughs> but again, just because of relationships, yeah. I heard about it, was able to get to the artist and, and get the job. So, and this is back in the day before there was no internet, no, no. social media, Mm-mm. any of those types of things you mm-hmm. had, but you've been on the road. You had been on the road with him just because you're opening, you're playing for the opening act. Right. So you, right. you guys had a relationship a little bit already mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, if they just recognize you, <laughs> that's a, if they, Hey, I, I know that guy, you yeah. know, that's kind of what it was with him. Yeah. I knew I'd made friends with some of his crew and, and band, but he recognized me from being out on that tour. So it wasn't like a total stranger. Coming right. Up and, so how, how did you know that he was going to be at Opryland to go hunt him down there? To tell um, him that? Again, I, I had a friend uh, who played in the band, and okay. uh, and he told me he said, "Well, we're doing this private gig over at the Opryland Hotel. Oh, okay. You might want to show up." Gotcha. Again, relationships. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I think it's good to know for for the audience listening, people that want to that want to get into playing for another artist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like how do I find these things out and just the determination, you know, to somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and if you can touch base with that person and somehow work your way, just find out details, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like being a PI, yeah, you know, being a yeah. private investigator and having to go hunt down who it is and, or what it is you're looking for sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Back in that day, you, you would hear certain things if you, uh, and, and again, the, this has all changed a lot, but used to, a lot of us used to hang out at the, at the musicians union mm-hmm. hall down on the you music would, row. Yeah. You, you'd hear stuff occasionally there, uh, going out and just sitting in with bands around towns where you'd really hear it. Um, sometimes doing writer's nights, you'd hear, well, so-and-so's looking for a guitar player or, or you know, uh, you just really got to come immerse yourself in all that is the music business right. and, and. Uh, even if you're coming here to just do one thing, if you're coming to be a side man, if you're coming to be a writer, you just need to come just kind of immerse yourself in it. Go to writer's nights, go, you know, anything that you can where they put you in front of people. Yeah. And that goes for any major city that has music. So Nashville, LA, Chicago, Austin, Mm -hmm. New York, all those places, um, wherever somebody might be living. And even if, even in, you know, like in Paducah, you know, we're in this small little town in Kentucky uh, where we're from, but finding opportunities even there. Sure. You know, and it's a lot bit different now in Paducah than it is, than it was back then. It's yeah. Like we have the, the, the Carson Center now, mm-hmm. uh, which is a huge, beautiful uh, music venue. A lot of artists come into that. So even right. if you're in whatever town you, you're in, if there is some sort of a music venue um, where, where artists or bands are coming in to do concerts, is find ways to get in and and work those shows the production companies or the venue itself or something be around you can be, be available, around it yeah yeah and get to know people exactly that's how opportunities open up mm-hmm. so how long were you out playing for lee now just so people know who lee greenwood is he's the guy who sings god bless the usa yes so yes. huge huge uh and you know, people State forget anthem. because that song uh, and it used to drive him crazy uh that song just really overshadowed his whole career because leading up to that he had, um, I was trying to remember what year certain things happened, but he had like 10 number ones, I think. Uh, yeah. he, he won a Grammy for a song called IOU that was one of the biggest wedding songs. But, but then you get a song like God Bless the USA, that's your career song. Yeah. 
And I, I remember I worked for him twice, two different five-year stints. The second stint was only supposed to be a few months, but I stayed five years. Okay. But um, I had gone back to work for him in, in uh, late 2000, going into 2001. He had a theater in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, no, no way I was going to go sit down in a theater for that long. But he called and he said, if you'll put me together a band, we'll go and, and uh, we'll do maybe 15 to 20 road dates a year. That's it. Because at that time, I'd settled into being a session player on acoustic guitar, so I couldn't really be out on the road. And, it, and I thought, well, I could do 15 or 20 dates a year. That's, that's no big deal. Because he had stayed a sh you know, show at his theater. <clears throat> and so we did that, and, and then all of a sudden, 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my gosh, our schedule went black. Every entertainer in the country was getting canceled. Oh, yeah. Everybody wanted Lee. And it was really wild. Some of the crowds we went into were obviously not our genre right but they wanted yeah. they wanted the comfort that came from the song god bless the usa and they had no clue about songs like it turns me inside out i don't mind the thorns if you're the rose i mean all these big big songs you know i owe you nobody nobody ever you know paid any attention to those they want to hear god bless the usa so yeah that's a that's such a powerful song too it is you know just for what it is and always for you know the fourth of july and Mm -hmm. those types of things, but especially in the midst of a crisis that we were facing as a country, you know, just to have, to be that comfort, you know, it, the, that song did an unprecedented thing. Uh, nobody else has done this. The original recording, <clears throat> what, I think it, it came out on uh, Mr. Greenwood's greatest hits album. Um, taking on the wall there. Um, that was 1984 and it was song of the year for the CMA okay. in 1984. The original recording, has been number one on Billboard three times. Wow. It, it, when it first, I was working in Paducah as a DJ at WKYQ when mm -hmm. they came out the first time. And I'll never forget the weekend that it came out. I mean, the phone lines would not stop. Yeah. And, uh, and then again in the Gulf War and then again when we, when, when we went to Afghanistan, okay, it, was, yeah. it was a hit three times. Nobody's ever done that before. Same original recording. Wow. That's incredible. Well, let's back up for a second because yeah. you're talking about being a DJ at the radio station in Paducah. How did you, how did you land that gig? They had, um, they used to do this thing called the Wrangler Showdown. It was a talent contest kind of deal, mm -hmm. and I entered in it. Uh, I think I was 16, 17, and I entered in it just as a contestant. And while I was there. Talking to the radio folks, I learned that they were looking for a, a part-time guy work weekends, you know, and so I applied, and they hired me. Okay. And so I worked there. I worked for WKYQ. I worked overnights on their uh, adult contemporary station called WKYX at the time. I right. think it's all talk radio now. But um, I had another family member, a first cousin that worked there. So it was we had a large time <laughs> doing yeah. overnights there, and and. Uh, those were good memories. Made a lot of good friends there. So just out of curiosity, so they hired you, you filled out an application, and, I mean, did you have any experience as a DJ or any, no. being in front of a microphone, you um, know, really, other I than would, performing, maybe, I guess? Yeah, just singing gospel in the gospel gospel yeah. group that I grew up in and stuff, but that was, you know, I didn't have any, you know, like being a spokesperson yeah. or, no. I, so just kind of taking a chance on you. It, it, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, I mean, being a DJ is as part of the music business. Yeah, it know? is. And so for... Maybe there's somebody listening that wants to be a DJ, and how do you, you know, you start small. Obviously, you're not going to become Bobby Bones, right? You know, on 
you know, they in told Nashville me. or something like that from from the yeah. beginning. But you start small. You have to start in local market. You know, if you can get your foot in the door and you work your way up. But yeah. but they were going to tell you what. They they told me when I when I hired on, don't try to do any personality stuff. Just read the weather. Just do what you got to do. Yeah. And, and and I listened to some of those. Of course, I didn't listen to them. I tried to be funny. And I listened to some of those first air checks I did, and I was so embarrassed. I thought yeah. I should have listened and just done the weather. <laughs> but uh, it was those were good days, you know. Yeah. There, there was a good crew there. So some of those guys are still there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those guys are still there and still dear friends of mine. Yep, that's awesome. Okay, so now we're going to fast forward back right. to uh, you've been out playing with Lee Greenwood, mm-hmm. and then. You've also played with some other pretty big name acts. Who, have, who else have you played with? Uh, I did. Uh, I've played in Brad Paisley's first band. Okay, when he and, first came out. Yeah, that was that was. I, I've known Brad since he was twelve. Really? Um, he was the house guitar player at a. It's kind of like a smaller version of the Grand Ole Opry over in Wheeling, West Virginia, the yep. WWVA Jamboree. Because that's where he's from. Yeah. And he, gosh, he was, since he was a little fella, he was a staff guitar player there. And we would play there once or even twice a year, depending on if I came in with two different acts. Uh, and so we just got to be buddies. You know, and he'd come out to the bus and we'd break out the guitars. And, and he was always, I always thought he was a, a little Steve Warner protege because oh, he'd yeah. learn every lick that Steve did, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, he called me out of the blue one day and said, he said, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself to be just now calling you. He said, I've, I've been in Nashville for a while. And he said, I've, I've been going to Belmont College. And he said, I've got this little record deal on Arista Records, and they're going to introduce me at Fanfare, which is now the CMA Fest. Right. He said, would you come play in my band? Nice. And, and so I said, you better believe it, buddy. And we showed up at the first rehearsal, and he had a picture of he and I. Uh, like I told you, Mr. Greenwood wanted us to look like White Snake. Right. Uh, I had a trench coat, concho belts, and more hair than you could put in a bushel basket, yeah. standing next to this little short Brad Paisley, and uh, he was 12 years old in that photo. And, but then he broke out the guitar, and I was like, holy cow, where'd you learn to do that? Right. You know, he's amazing. Oh, yeah. What an amazing player, and just a great guy. Really okay. is a great guy. So that's awesome. Oh, go ahead. You're going to say something. No, you were just asking who else I, I, I did. Yeah, um, well, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So with, with Brad, um, obviously one of the, the very best guitar players that's ever existed, in my he's, opinion. He's amazing. I yeah. mean, he's one of the best ever. Um, as a guitar player, I just look at him and watch him, and I'm like, I need to go take some more lessons or do something yeah. because I can't even keep my eyes can't keep up with what he's doing. He's so fast at what he does. But again, it's like, how do you get to play for Brad Paisley? Well, you knew him for yeah. years and years, of, yeah. you know, and that's so that's cool that and he knew who you were and what you were capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And so, time comes, he he calls you up, yeah. you know, yeah. and that doesn't happen to everybody. That's no, that's you know, kind of a um, What's the word? Right place at the right time. You're at the right, yeah, you're in the right place at the right time. Um, um, and then you've also played with Shania? Twi- I just Shania sang Twain? with Shania. You sang with she, Shania? She didn't even know I played. Okay. Uh, and, and all we did was television. Um, they did not tour with her uh, until I think she had 10 number ones or something. They, mm-hmm. wanted to, they wanted to be able to start out headlining in arenas. They didn't want her to be the opening act for anybody. Right. And again, relationships... The guy that was playing drums with her had been my drummer when I was out pursuing a solo career in country music. Okay. And so when they, a lot of Shania's records that Mutt Lang produced on her, a lot of those sound effects are vocal, uh, that sound percussive and whatnot. Yeah. It's all, so there were, they wanted eight people on stage singing. Uh, and, and sometimes you're playing the drums with your voice, you know, kind of or just percussive mm-hmm. things. Uh, but when they started looking for singers, again, it was to do fanfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
he gave him my name and and uh, he the drummer. Oh, that's right, the yeah. drummer that you knew. Yeah, he he gave him my name and and uh, they called and so I did a few things with them. Okay. Uh, we did you did, have to audition for her? No, no, I just they just, just I just went to rehearsal and we did it. They just knew. You so, know that that's something else that's that's real important is is to be able to recognize people's abilities, mm-hmm. and because if you recommend somebody, your neck's out there on the line. That's right. And I have had very few people that I could take it to the bank if they said so. Because I, I, I've been the band leader in a lot of situations. I, I was a band leader for Mr. Greenwood for a while. And uh, uh, I, too, did not want to do the open cattle call auditions because you just get covered up with everybody that thinks they can play. Right. And uh, to have somebody, it's really valuable to have somebody that if they tell you the guy can cut it, they can cut it. Right. Uh, I, I hired a young man from... Paducah to play keyboards for Mr. Greenwood, um, named Doug Carter. Yeah, I remember. Uh, he's <laughs> wow. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and and uh, I I was still in the band at the time and uh, uh, was was the the band leader at the time, and I'd already been told by one of two guys. There, there. I've only had two guys that that if they told me they could do it, I didn't have to listen to them. I knew they could do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd been told by one of my friends that I trusted really like that, and that oh no, Doug, Doug could handle it. Oh yeah. And so we were going to do an audition, and it seems like we we set up in the back of Studio Twenty when it was still there down on Music Row, and he brought in all this gear, and I don't think I even had him play for me. I just sat and talked to him. I wanted to see where his head was, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, just seemed like a great guy, and, and so we hired him, and he's still he he is now the the musical director for Mr. Greenwood. And, is he uh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's been with Lee a long time. Wow. Okay, so yeah. this is a really, really odd conversation. I was not expecting this. I haven't heard that name in years, but Doug Carter actually played on one of my songs Did when he? I was in, when I was sixteen or seventeen or something like that. Yeah. I, I made you know a little cassette tape yeah. of single of a song, and uh, and he was helping out. He was in the choir or something that we were doing at school and. And he ended up playing on, on one of my songs. And yeah, Doug's and, a great. Talent. And he was great. And I haven't thought about him in years. And so that's really interesting to know that. That's you know, cool. it's, we, we, a lot of times is is a, and I know me as an artist, I get married to how somebody plays. Mm-hmm. And Doug was following in the shoes of a guy by the name of Gordon Moat. Yeah, yeah. Who is one of the best in oh, the world. Yeah. Fantastic. And and uh, of course Lee's like. You know, like me, he gets really married to how, and he was really married to how Gordon plays, but he absolutely loves how Doug plays mm-hmm. and, and really hung in there. And, and Doug's just, boy, he's, he, can, he can play pretty much anything. He's really great. That's awesome. Wow. That's a flashback that I was not expecting yeah. today. <laughs> That's super cool. World gets smaller. You have to tell him I said hello. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. Um, okay, so let's talk a minute about your artist career. Okay. So between... Um, touring and playing for other artists. So you did like a five-year stint with uh, with Lee Greenwood, mm-hmm. and then there was a break, and then you went back again five years, another five years. Mm-hmm. So in between that time, is that when you were doing your artist? Yeah, so- I, I decided to try to pursue um, being an artist. Uh, I'd written a couple of songs that, that actually Mr. Greenwood had wanted to record. And uh, so he signed me to his publishing company. And for a while there, he, they were pitching me as an artist. Uh, and, and I got out, you know, beating the road with, with my band, doing all the, the nightclubs and the casinos and everything that you had to do to do that. And it just, you know, we got close on a couple of occasions to, to a couple of things, but 
never really landed anything significant as far as a deal goes. And, uh, as a re- for a record deal. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it just, you know, the music industry is constantly changing. And where I was, it left me sitting where I was and went on to the next thing, you know. And so um, um, I started getting into the studios and doing some production work. I had a production company back then called Making Tracks Productions. And we worked around the clock for, there were three or four years there where we just worked all the time. And, you know, Nashville ha- has an underbelly. Uh, of people that just rip people off royally, you know that you they they see newbies coming to town. Oh yeah, I can they promise them the world and then charge them just humongous dollars right. uh, for their projects, and knowing full well that they can't do anything for them. Mm-hmm. And so we made a we made a good living not by charging a lot. We were very very inexpensive, but by volume, and we would just literally work. We did a lot of all night sessions, but just to get people things that they could afford. And a lot of our clientele were people that had already been through the snakes, you know, and all that. And so um, after doing that enough and working with enough session players, again, making those relationships, uh, we tried to use guys who were playing on records on our stuff so that our stuff would be not demo level, but master level sounding stuff. And so, again, you make those relationships and your friends and all of a sudden you're getting a call for, hey, come play on this record or that record or, you know, this demo or that demo. And. And uh, so the more, you know, again, you make friends in, in that pool of players and suddenly you get pulled into that. If, you know, if you go in and, and you can cut it, you know, yeah. uh, some, you know, doesn't always work out that way. Uh, I've been real blessed to always be able to, to grow into situations, uh, especially as being a session player. Um, my first really good writing deal uh, were, were the people that own Studio 19 down in the Music Row area. It is now a parking lot. They've moved. Uh, they moved out of the row. They're out, they're out in Franklin now okay. at the Sound Kitchen. Oh yeah. <clears throat> but uh, the guy that owned that uh, was back in the day. He produced some big records. He his name is Larry Rogers, and he produced Louisiana Saturday Night, the Mel, oh, big yeah. Mac, Mel McDaniel hit, yeah. uh, Charlie McLean, Who's Cheating Who, you know. And, and he had a lot of big hit records. And and I was so blessed that he took me under his wing. And, but one of the things he did by taking me under his wing was he said, "Go into the studio and learn." All those tools were at my disposal. I had to kind of work around the paying clients, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes I had to work overnight. But when do you ever get access to a studio, a big full-time, big studio like that to just learn? Right. You know, that was really brave on his part. Sure. But he was such a, a great source of advice in teaching me how to make a record, what to do, what not to do. And he gave me the most important advice I've ever gotten, and I've passed this along many times. He, he said, uh, whatever you do, get up out of bed every day and do something for your career. He said, I don't care if it's booking a date, if it's writing a song, if it's getting in the studio, whatever. He said, you do something every day for your career. And I've tried to live by that uh, even now, even with our ministry. I'm doing something every day for that. And I think that's a big key to how we've survived all these years. We've been in full-time ministry now for almost 18 years. Yeah. And it's just from being determined and getting up every day and doing something for it. Yeah. Nobody else is going to do it for you. No. You know, no. especially when you're an independent artist. Yeah. Um, you've so, got to, you got to create your own niche. You've got to, yeah. you got to find something not everybody else is doing. Right. So becoming a session player, uh, I'm assuming that's, a relationship issue as well. That's how you sure. kind of got into the 
What, what drew you to becoming a session player after being out on the road? Like, why it, did you make that change? It's, um, well, I was just ready to get off the road. Okay. The, I, it, the road will burn you out big time. And there's a stigma that road players can't be session players. Yeah, I've heard that. And it's, uh, there, there are a few who can, but it's just a matter of conditioning and, and thinking differently. Uh, on the road, you can get away with a lot. You know, you're trying, sometimes you're trying to take a five piece band, make it sound like an eight piece band and you're covering a lot of, a lot of bases to, you know, mm -hmm. you can't do that in studio. You've got to stay out of the way that the most important thing in studio is the two T's time and taste. <laughs> You've got to know when to play and when not to play. And on the road, you're just noodling and filling and, and, and trying to fill up the band, but you, that's not your job in the studio. It's to make it clean as a whistle yeah. and be tasteful. And what you, and when you do play, it needs to mean something. It needs to say something and then sit back down. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. How long did you do session work before you went back out on the road again? About five years. Okay. There, there was a five years with Mr. Greenwood. And then even those years when I was chasing the, the, the country record deal, I still made my living by doing sessions and mm -hmm. as well. I mean, we, were, we, we wore a lot of hats back then, but you have to. And you still do. Yeah. I mean, even more so nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, there were a few really good jobs back in that day. Like Mr. Greenwood was one of them. Mm -hmm that were known for paying people very well. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about Lee was he was a musician. He's a very good musician. And so he understood, you know, you've got to surround yourself with a great band and, and you've got to take care of those people. Mm -hmm. But those jobs are few and far between, you know, the really big gigs and you talk about hard to get. Some of the big session players are out doing the really big gigs now. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a friend, uh, Mike Johnson, plays steel guitar, plays on all of my stuff. He was this year's Academy of Country Music Steel Player of the Year. Okay. And he's still out on he's out doing dates on the road with Reba as well. Okay. And technology's kind of made that possible. It used to be you could not be on the road. If you're a session player, you don't want anybody to know you're on the road. Oh, then you get that road player stigma. Mm -hmm. Or you're not available. Right. They call you you're out on the road, well they don't call you again. They call somebody else that's that is available. Yeah. But anymore with the little two channel Pro Tools rigs and whatever and laptops, you can still get in your room at night after the gig and fly in parts all over the world. You know, who wants what? Yep. And, and uh, so that, that I know I know that he does that. He yeah. does a lot of session work on the road. Yeah, and I do have to do that a lot as well. Yeah. I, I'm out playing my own shows and then I'll be <laughs> tracking something for someone yeah. else, you know, in my spare time or whatever. You know, yeah. that's what we have to do. There's, there's no one thing that anybody can really do anymore. Hmm. Very, very few of us anyway. Um, unless maybe you're Brad Paisley. You <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. But even then, you know, he's, he's artist, he's a songwriter, he produces. I mean, he's got a whole entourage of people he has to take care of. So like there's a, that's sort of a whole different thing. And there's, but it's there's still a, multiple. a small handful of guys. Like I have a friend who I moved this guy to town, uh, to play for me from Branson, Missouri. His name's John Conley. And, um, when I got him and I heard him play the first time, I thought, oh, my gosh, I won't keep him long. And uh, and I didn't. I mean, within six months, he was out with Winona oh, okay. and playing with her. But uh, he he now plays for Kenny Chesney. And Kenny's one of a, uh, a handful of artists that really takes care of their people. If they decide not to tour for a year, it's not everybody you're on your own. You still get paid. You, you know, there's a, a program in place there to keep people's livelihoods going. Oh, and that's, that's nice. admirable. That is yeah. so admirable because, you know, any of those artists could do it. Sure. But how many will? You know? right. And there's a small handful that will. That's cool. Well, that's nice to know that. Yeah. Let's talk about your making tracks production company. Mm -hmm. What was in 
involved in getting that off the ground and letting people know that this was something that you were doing because this is a whole nother avenue of right of income for you in music is right. producing for other people and making demos or whatever it is so what was involved with making that happen i got a lot of um business from the nsai mm-hmm. the national songwriters association um again there were people were you know uh, so wary uh, in that group of, of the snakes you know the people that wanted just to gouge you for doing a demo and then your demo just doesn't sound that great you know there were so many of those guys that when you again develop those relationships with people maybe you go out i thought i used to go out to writers nights and listen to writers and i'd give them a card hey if we can help you you know and uh again just becoming part of that grapevine and and meeting folks um groups like nsai they have a rule in place that they don't advertise for you they're not going to send somebody to you uh for the protection of their writers uh but you gain a reputation pretty quickly if you do give people a good product. And we were doing it, my gosh, back in those days, we were doing full-blown, uh, I think, six-piece demos for like $300, $350. And the same thing would cost you about 12 today. Right. And But we worked around the clock. And, and, and you know, because we still had to pay for studio time. Even though I was involved with the studio, I wasn't the owner. Right. So, yeah, you again. Didn't, you didn't own your own studio back then. No, huh? Yeah. No, I didn't. I was, I was at Studio 19 and 20. And so uh, we still had to pay something for the studio. We, we got a break on it because I was the staff writer there, but we still had to pay. And so in order to, to pay everybody else, I mean, we had to do, we, we'd do five and six songs in a three-hour session. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard to do. That's hard to do uh, and make them really mean something. I mean, you, you, you're, you're using good shape as long as the guys are awake and, but if you start doing those overnight sessions, you know, and everybody starts getting weary and bleary-eyed, it's, boy, it's hard to keep your creative thinking cap on yeah. and really give people some good bang for their buck. But that's what we did. I yeah. mean, we, um, gosh, we, we built a huge business there for a while. It just, it working every day. And this is because you learned in your off time, learn how to work the console and the board and how to make records, how to make a record because of this other producer that let you go into his studio yes. Off you, the clock, you <laughs> learn how to get do it. what I got. Yeah, uh, of course that that was back in the days pre Pro Tools and all that. Yeah, yeah. but that was uh, you just couldn't get that kind of education by going and taking a class at Belmont. I mean, that was hands on, and and one of the coolest things about it is is I was also a writer, and through the doors of Studio Nineteen came some of the biggest writers in the world, guys like Craig Wiseman, mm-hmm. uh, Annie Roboff, just people that were just knocking the charts, you know top of the charts all the time and you're getting to kind of sometimes get to play on their sessions but other times just get to sit back and, and observe and be around some of the best players in town there's mm-hmm. there's not a better school than that yeah for of creativity course. sure yeah so nowadays you're you're doing music ministry mm-hmm. so you play mostly a lot of a lot of churches i do in those types of events mm-hmm. and then also um, you work with the military yes do a lot about uh, a lot with those guys so Tell me, first of all, let's talk about just the ministry aspect of what, um, with what you do. Was that transition from doing country music full-time into gospel music full-time? Sure. And what are you doing nowadays specifically? I wrestled with the Lord about ministry for about a year. Because at that point, I was still working for Mr. Greenwood, and I was the band leader, so that was a good salary. I owned a studio. I had a studio in my home. And I had a lot of clients. Still had a lot of those NSAI clients and, 
and things. And so that was a good salary. I had a salary that paid me to write 12 songs a year. All I had to do, and it was, you know. Uh, With a publishing company. Yeah, and th those salary writing gigs just ain't out there anymore. Mm -hmm. They're just, uh, and, and then I was also a session player on other people. I mean, I worked all the time. Yeah. And it turned into a nice six-figure income every year. And, and I told the Lord, you want me to, look how long I've worked to get to this. You want me to give all of that up? Ain't you got anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> and, but, I, but I finally, um, after a year, uh, the Lord just convicted me about it, that I was just using my gifts in the wrong place. I just, I just decided to do it. Now, I, when I decided to do it, I hadn't talked to my wife about it yet. And uh, we were coming. Uh, we'd, she, she's from North Carolina, and we'd been over to visit her family. And we, it was October. We were driving back through the mountains there. And, you know, everything was so pretty. The leaves were changing. And I thought, you know, it's just a nice, serene setting here. It'd be a good time to spring it on her. And I just said, honey, I said, what would you think about me giving Mr. Greenwood my notice and, and let's go into full-time ministry? And she laughed at me. She said, what took you so long? Oh, yeah. She, she knew how, you know, what was going on. Yeah. And um, when, when, I, when I first got into this, I, I had a record deal fall in my lap. When you transitioned into music yeah, ministry? Uh, into music ministry. Yeah. There, was, there was a group that I'd been doing some production work for. They were called Re Reborn Records. And they were out of Chicago. And they had a couple of um, heavy hitters on the label as far as, I don't know if you remember Rick Derringer, mm -hmm. rock and roll, hoochie coo. Well, yeah. he, Rick, Rick had gotten saved. Okay. And back in the day, he was one of the biggest drunks out there. And, and now, you know, rock and roll, he rewrote rock and roll, hoochie coo. It became read the word and live it too. And uh, he, he was on the label. A, a lady by the name of Bonnie Keene was on the label. She'd come from one of the big uh, female uh, contemporary groups. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, they might make a go of it. And, and so I, I took the deal and... I came into the deal with uh, two albums that I had just finished. I had just finished my first gospel album, and I just finished a patriotic record for our military stuff. And so I, I came in in a unique position. They didn't have to sink money into me uh, at the get-go for recording. We, we did an agreement where they leased the masters from me, and, but I retained ownership of them. And okay. later that became a real saving grace because it just um, – the label was based in, in Chicago, but they had people here running it. And the people here running it saw them coming from a mile away. Mm -hmm. And they, they just broke them. They were, when I saw my royalty statements and saw what, just what was being charged just for the manufacturing of my product, it was twice what it should have been, three mm -hmm. times what it should have been. And those people were just, although they worked for the company, they were just pocketing all this money. You gotcha. know? And so I thought, yeah, this isn't going to last long. And, and it did. It began to crumble. And uh, I just simply asked for what's called a peaceful release from my contract and agreed. I, it, they were about to go under. And I said, I'll tell you what, if you'll give me a peaceful release, I will purchase all of my product from you. And they agreed. And uh, so I got out lock, lock, stock, and barrel without any legal problems whatsoever. Uh, but I told the Lord that, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to get, yeah, you know, it really surprised me the record deal fell in my lap because that wasn't what I was looking for. I got into this to see life changed. And if not, I should have just stayed in country music, you know, yeah. and doing what I was doing. And so uh, we've been doing this for 18 years now. We still, 18 years later, we operate on a love offering basis. We don't charge 
fees. We don't, um, and it's just, it really, it's just about, inter it's about several things. If you'd asked me in the beginning of our ministry, what's your ministry? I'd have said, well, to, to lead the lost to Christ, I could write you a book on what it is now. And um, uh, we have the opportunity to reach out to our military and to, and to, to really make a difference uh, in their lives. They sacrifice so much for us, and, and the Lord's really opened the door for us to not only share the gospel with them, but to do tangible and real things that actually make a difference mm -hmm. in, in the life of the military family. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I really, and I tell pastors this, I want you to see me as a missionary before you see me as a musician. I don't care if you see me as a singer at all. So music is my mode of transportation to get the message out there, but but I want you to look for the heart in what we're doing, and I want you to see that it's a missionary's heart. It's not a, uh, you know. I often talk to young artists and, and when they ask me for advice, and I say, well, what do you want to accomplish? Number one, do you want to be famous for Jesus, or do you want to make Jesus famous? Which is it? I said, there's room for both. I don't have a problem with Christian entertainment. There's a need for Christian entertainment, but if you're getting in this for ministry, there's some certain things you need to do and some certain things you need not to do, you know. Uh, and, and we got in it for ministry. And, and God, I believe God's honored that because, again, we're still here 18 years later. And uh, so many that I've seen along the way have, have had to give it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tell people the Lord has scared us to death a couple of times, but he's always provided. He, he hadn't failed us yet. Yeah. So what would you say, just wrapping up, would be some advice that you would have for whether it be an artist or a, guitar or a musician, there's so many different things that you've done over the years. Um, well, just as we've said several times, whatever market you're, you're in, if it's a music market, whether it be Nashville, LA, New York, you know, Austin, Texas, wherever, don't live outside of the music world. Get to where it's going on. Mm -hmm. Immerse yourself in it. If you're especially, you know, of course, I can speak to Nashville better than any of the places. Sure. When I say immerse yourself in it, go to every writer's night you can. Go hear some of the live entertainment. Go, uh, you know, a, a lot, if you're a musician and you're wanting to get into, you know, a road band situation, a lot of the road players put together special bands and come and do shows. You know, a certain, well, an example would be all the guys that, that I used to play with in Mr. Greenwood's band, they're now called Six Wire. I'm the only one that's not there. Oh, that's that's them? Yeah, yeah. They're, okay. And they play for everybody. Oh, yeah. They, they do uh, Third and Lindsley in Nashville. Yep. They do a, a thing every month, and and I mean they, it's it's kind of neat. They they, gosh, we all started together over thirty years ago yep. in nineteen eighty eight, and um, they're still together. They they play a lot of really high profile gigs yep. for the lead singer of Kansas, the lead singer, the former lead singer of Journey. All these, you know, they play with Alice Cooper. I mean, they play for everybody yep. and. A lot of these guys, they do they do shows. Go and meet them. Go and and, and make friends. Say hello. You know, yeah. just become a part of the fabric of whatever music town you're in. That's the best thing. Uh, uh, and we've said it a thousand times: is, is relationships. But the whole key to surviving in the music business is relationships. Number two, try to create your own niche. You know, the internet has has leveled the playing field, so that. Um, a lot of folks can have a career that couldn't before. True. You know, because you have an avenue of putting your product out there and putting your, you know, what you do out there. Don't ever think that you've got to, you've got to uh, uh, get a major record label deal or you can't do the music thing. You most certainly can. You know, uh, if you can find something that nobody else is doing, 
that's a, that's a huge deal, you know. And, and just like the advice that was given to me, get up every day and do something for your career, whether it be write a song, practice your guitar, book a date, uh, just something. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a set regiment, but just get up and do something for your musical career every day. Those are the biggest things, yeah. um, you know, that I can think of that, that I that I try to, you know, Throughout my career, I've tried to live by and do. Mm-hmm. Do you do your own booking, or do you have someone that does it for you? I do. I, I, I've had a, very little help with it, and it's a, it's a tough deal. It uh, is hard. I, I tell people I'd rather get a root canal than, <laughs> uh, you know, with what we do, it's always calling pastors, and I think they right. teach pastors in seminary how to, there's a class on don't return your calls one-on-one. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it is a... I know it well. <clears throat> you know, I was told... <laughs> I was told when I when I got into this that if you work hard for two years, you can pick and choose your dates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, again, there's a fine line of being pushy and just and, and polite persistence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's tough to figure that out because yeah. it does gets it gets frustrating. Yeah. Well, it, I'm in the same boat as you yeah. are because I do music ministry yeah. for a living, and so I know that path very well. Yeah, I've seen things that. Have really disappointed me, yeah. and, and but you know, in their defense, um, pastors have have several people calling them every week. Sure. Of course, they do. Uh, wanting to come do this and that in the church, and and uh, they have to protect their pulpit, and they don't know you from Adam a lot of times, and yeah. and uh, but yeah, uh, you, you'd have to be what was it you said persistence, polite, polite persistence. persistence. Yeah. Well, Eric, thank you so much for letting me come over and talk with you, and yeah, absolutely. spend time with you in your studio, and just catch up again and. Uh, two Paducah boys back together yes, again, sir. and yes, it's been sir. been a lot of fun. And just to hear your experience and expertise, and and all of the fields that you've been a part of, is is wonderful to hear and great advice. And so, where do people find your music online or the things that you're a part of? Because you also do Operation uh, Tank of Love. Yeah, I, I, we do Operation Tank of Love. That's just an outreach. That's something outside of music. Right. Uh, that we do for the military family. Um, and we give away free gas in the gospel. Okay. It's real easy to find us all over Facebook. We, we have a page called Operation Tank Full of Love. We have a page called Eric Corner Ministries. And uh, we have a website, just ericcorner.com, that okay. kind of covers all of it, uh, what we've got you know, going on. But we, we do more social media now than anything else. And we also have a recording studio called His Tunes Studios okay. that, that uh, we try to uh, use that to help uh, especially young ministries that can't afford to go in and just, you know, blow a huge budget on a recording project. We we have ways of doing it that, that still sound really great, and you don't have to break the bank to do it. So that's, right. you know, His Tune Studios also has a page. And that's on Facebook as well? Yeah. So mm-hmm. if people are looking to, to record and want to come work with you, then they can sure. find you through that as well? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you again. It's great to see you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. God bless you and all of the, everything that you're doing. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Eric Corner. He's got so much great information, wealth of knowledge to share with all of us. Be sure to check him out online on his website and on Facebook as well. Remember, Enerbrook Music is here to help. If you need consultation over phone, Skype, or FaceTime, let us know how we can help you to start making a living in the music industry.